We are starting, though, talking about what has been making news headlines ever since it was announced, and that is charges being laid against actor Alec Baldwin. If any of these three people had done their job, Helena Hutchins would be alive today, says Andrea Reeb, the special prosecutor appointed by the Santa Fe, New Mexico District Attorney's Office. She's talking about the star and producer of the film Rust, Alec Baldwin, as well as armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and assistant director David Halls. Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed will each be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. One of those charges includes a firearms enhancement that carries with it a possible sentence of five years in jail. Formal charges are expected by the end of the month. Joining us now to talk more about this is Paul Zyke. Paul Zyke is a retired police commander, more than 30 years of law enforcement experience, also a SAG-eligible actor. He has appeared in many movies and various Discovery Channel productions. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, we wanted to talk to you again about this because I think there is a level of surprise that these charges were laid and that the others, but really a lot of focus on the charges against actor Alec Baldwin. What is your response to this? Well, this is a a workplace. I specialize in workplace violence avoidance, and, and this is a workplace just like any other uh, workplace would be. I, I know it's often not thought of that way, but um, you know, a movie set is is where people conduct business, and this work set was not uh, adequately secured, and um, you know, there was mishandling of actual deadly weapons, being the what's referred to as a prop gun, uh, when in fact it's it's an actual firearm capable of firing live ammunition, and that's unfortunately what happened in this case. So I'm not surprised. And what about the response? Uh, I know we heard as well from the attorney who was representing Alec Baldwin. Uh, he's, he's calling it a terrible miscarriage of justice. Uh, his quote went on to say Mr. Baldwin had no reason to believe there was a live bullet in that gun or anywhere else on the movie set. Uh, he says he relied on the professionals with whom he worked who assured him the gun didn't have live rounds. Uh, he went on to say we will fight these charges and we will win. Uh, not a surprise that his lawyer says he's going to fight the charges, but what are your thoughts on, on his kind of explanation there? Well, you know, th- that really speaks to the point of uh, the burden of proof. Now, when you're talking about trial, we're talking beyond a reasonable doubt. That's not what this charge document says. This is that there's probable cause to believe that the statute of involuntary manslaughter was violated. So, you know, that's a far cry short of what his attorney is going to be arguing during a trial. Uh, or negotiations regarding whether or not this would meet that higher beyond a reasonable doubt threshold. Um, you know, the reality of this is that um, that workplace uh, w- was a place where, you know, two people went to work and two people were actually shot and one died. And, um, you know, th- the individual that, that fired the round was, in fact, the person that is being charged uh, after a, year, a years-long plus investigation and there's probable cause to believe uh, in the eyes of uh, the legal authorities that charged uh, this statute that uh, this statute was in fact violated and you know that that is the responsibility of every workplace is to keep it free of workplace violence and there's no there's no difference here uh, when it comes to that requirement. 
Uh, shortly after, I think one of the first times that Alec Baldwin spoke after this happened on that set, he said that he didn't he did not pull the trigger that he 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 didn't do that and he didn't know how the gun went off. I'm I, I'm assuming that will be perhaps part of his argument, and uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that because uh, I mean for a gun to go off does doesn't it that can only happen if someone pulls the trigger. Well, the reality is uh, a lot of what you said is, is, is absolutely accurate. I mean, there can be accidental firings. This, this type of weapon was a, uh, a single-action uh, firearm revolver, um, like an old Western-style gun. And usually the, the mechanism is, is cocked, and then it's, uh, the, the trigger is pulled, and the hammer falls and strikes the, the cartridge. Um, there's all kinds of different manipulations when it comes to uh, the hammer falling um, that whether the trigger's pulled or not pulled, the bottom line is the firearm that fired the projectile that struck these individuals was being held um, by in their, in their hand, in their possession, in their control um, by the individual that's being charged in this case. And that's just something that, you know, can't be disputed. Now, the reality is, of course, this wasn't done on purpose. This was done without malice. Um, but it was also without due care and caution, and that's what the statutory requirements are for involuntary manslaughter. And is it different, or do you think this kind of leads us to a different conversation because we are talking about an actor and something that happened on a film set, but like you said, it's still a workplace. I mean, Alec Baldwin has been very open with the fact that he doesn't like guns, that he's he's anti-gun, um, which I guess there's a certain irony there because had he been more uh, educated when it comes to gun handling and gun safety, uh, he may have he may have taken more attention. He may have done what, what licensed gun owners uh, in this country would do anytime they had a firearm in their hands, which is the first thing you do is make sure it's not loaded. But uh, he has been very open about the fact that, that he is uh, not a fan of guns. Does that come into play with the fact that, like you said, he was the one that was holding it and he was the one that's now been charged with involuntary manslaughter? In my experience on the movie sets um, and the movie Terminator Salvation, I was involved in many uh, shootout scenes where we were firing fully automatic firearms. There was strict rules of um, a chain of custody. You're handed the firearm. You're handed the blank rounds of ammunition. Uh, you go out. You, you fire. You, you, do, you do the scene. You, you, when they're done with you, they bring you back in. They check the firearm back in. They check your pockets and make sure there's not a possibility of live ammunition. There's a very systemic chain of custody that takes place to ensure that there's no possibility that live firearm or live rounds could be introduced into a non-live round environment, which this was in fact a, a place where only blanks should have been because the reality is what we are calling a prop gun or what has been referred to as a prop gun is really a deadly weapon capable of firing live ammunition um, and it's just being called a prop gun, but that doesn't make it one, unfortunately. Right. It's still very much a real gun. And I think that came up before as well, that, that calling it a prop gun is, is yes, it was being used that way, but it is, it is a real firearm. Absolutely. And, you know, when you take other props, the word prop really kind of allows you to drop your guard a little bit. It's something that you're thinking is pretending to be something it's not. It's incapable of being something it's not. For instance, a prop knife has a flat edge to it. 
it doesn't have a razor sharp edge to it, and we're going to pretend that it's uh, not a, not a real knife and use it in a scene. Um, and in un- unfortunately, in this case, a real firearm capable of firing real live ammunition was used, and it had devastating uh, results. Very devastating. There's also the question in this story and the information that came out shortly after and now kind of being clarified. But the latest information says that in addition to to the bullet that unfortunately killed the woman, that investigators also found, uh, I think it was five additional live rounds of ammunition. And these were found with uh, some other props, with costumes. They were found uh, in a gun belt where, where there was not supposed to be any live ammunition uh, do you think then is is there some should somebody be held accountable for that whoever the person is that brought live ammunition to a, a set a scene where there wasn't supposed to be any well there really should be um uh, 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 an examination and i'm sure there has been over this you know more than a year's long investigation of the culpability of individuals on the scene you know this is a systemic breakdown in order to have any sort of uh, a surety that this could not happen. You would need multiple levels of checks and balances. And finding live rounds and, you know, like you said, and, and, and ammunition holders and jackets and different, uh, you know, places uh, is yet another example of um, an actual scene that is not secure. This is a sterile environment. You cannot bring live rounds anywhere near uh, an environment like this because of the possibility of them being introduced into the firearms. And, and there needs to be strict adherence to best practice guidelines to ensure that does not and cannot happen. Clearly, that was not done in this instance. Do you think this will change protocol or change rules or, or will, ch- will it change how actors go about doing scenes like this, looking at what happened here, the, the loss of life? Now we're seeing charges laid. What kind of an impact do you think will this have on, on movies and shows that have shooting scenes in them? Well, I think they're going to take precautions as they always have. Um, back to Terminator Salvation, you know, there was all kinds of precautions that were taken during the filming of that um, of that movie to ensure that what we were doing was in fact safe. Now, I will say there's an opportunity here for legislatively uh, there to be um, very strict guidelines that are put into place and laws that are put into place that dictate the usage of um, weapons that are capable of firing live rounds, such as um, that it could be mandated that only weapons capable of chambering blanks could be used. They can look like real guns, but they're incapable of chambering the size of an actual projectile. That would be a step, a step in the right direction and encouraging the uh, usage of such devices that will not fire live ammunition. Um, without that, the possibility of this occurring again, you know, it's, it's, it's simply a matter of when, unfortunately. So, there's an opportunity for some change here, and I think I think some of that's going to come come to be. It seems like a pretty simple change. Are you surprised at all that it hasn't happened already? Well, no, because uh, you know, in my business, uh, proactive mitigation, which is again the the workplace violence uh, work that I do in 30 years in law enforcement, uh, a lot of times we're back on our heels. We're waiting to be reactive to situations instead of proactive. And the reason why we don't do a lot of things proactively is because they don't often happen. Look how rare this, this occurs. 
but but if the possibility of an event occurring is greater than zero, it's simply if, not when. And we really got to get our minds around this and uh, start being proactive and, and really utilizing best practice and finding what best practice actually is and implementing it to make sure our workplaces are safe. All right, Paul Zyke, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about this today. Appreciate it so much. You're very welcome. Take care.